So this morning we're continuing the series that we've been working through the last few weeks, so we're up to week three, the series Unexpected. That as we reflect over the past few years, most of us would say there's been a lot of unexpected. For most of us, we've had plans, maybe we've had dreams, maybe we've had relationships, and unexpected things have happened. Things have changed, things have not gone to plan. And as we've reflected on this, we've looked to the story of Joseph, found in Genesis, a story of what starts really as a boy, and unexpected things happening to him, but in the midst of that we see God moving, God speaking, that when Joseph's plans fall apart, he meets God in those moments. And through that journey, Joseph's character is formed, that he is formed more and more into the image of Christ. And so for us, as we face unexpected things in our lives, as things come up, as our plans fail, as struggles come, maybe God might want to meet us in those moments. Maybe he is meeting us in those moments, wanting to form us and shape us into his people. And the hope is that you will experience something of that, that maybe the story that you've been telling about these unexpected things will be reshaped into a story of formation. So, last week we finished. Well, last week Clint talked through, Joseph was being through this journey where he was sold into slavery by his brothers. He's working for Potiphar, running Potiphar's house, kind of like, okay, I've had this dream, but now I'm just working as a servant in Potiphar's house. And then gets cast out of Potiphar's house. It ends up in prison, kind of this low point, if you look at external circumstances of his life. But in the midst of that, God is forming his character, forming him into a holy person. And we finished last week. He gets, he gets out of that, that he interprets Pharaoh's dream and is given this position of power and prestige. Actually, Joseph's life is turned around somewhat unexpectedly. There's a positive unexpected in this story, that actually Joseph unexpectedly gets into this incredible position where he's given second in charge over Egypt. And so we see the story, there's this famine globally, and the world comes to Egypt for their grain, for their food. So Joseph isn't just the second in charge of Egypt, actually he has a gl- his power and his reach is global. This is the influence that he has. That he's been on this, like, from him as this boy in this family, he's been on this journey, and it's led him to this moment. And in the midst of this, in this position, he has two children. We mentioned one of them last week. He has a son, Ephraim, which means God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. And that's the hope for us, that as we go through periods of suffering, we may come out saying, God has made me fruitful in the midst of my suffering. But he also has a second son. That second son, well, the other son, he names Manasseh, meaning God has made me forget my troubles and my father's household. Joseph's been away from his family since he was 17 years old. He's been in his position in Egypt for nine years, this key role. He's now 39 years old. It's been 20 years since he's been with his family. And he can name his son, I've forgotten my, the troubles and the issues that my family has caused me. It's been quite a while since we've seen Joseph's family. 
And we get to chapter 42 of Genesis. And I don't know if you've seen a movie like this, where someone's life starts hard, and they kind of work themselves out of it and get to this position. But then suddenly have... Chapter 42 is like this cut back to the villains of the movie. It's like, we haven't seen the family in 20 years, we haven't seen the family in five chapters. Chapter 42, they're back in. It's like, what is this going to mean for Joseph? He's named his son. I've forgotten my troubles, I've forgotten my past, and God, in the midst of that, brings his family back into the peace. Actually, there's something of the dream that Joseph had of his brothers bowing before him that hasn't yet actually come into fruition, that Joseph is going to have to deal with his family. That may he, while he thinks it's been removed, his pain is just gone. It's going to have to be dealt with. And I wonder for some of us, as we think of our lives, is there someone, as you reflect back on your past, Is there someone who, if they walked in the room right now, it would be like Joseph seeing his brothers. It's like, you're my arch nemesis. You're the one who's maybe hurt me, who's betrayed me. I've got something against you. I've seen a film like this where it's like, you're talking happily. This person walks in. It's like the music changes. Your brow drops. You kind of get in battle formation and like, let's go. This is what the picture is of Joseph. It's his, his brothers haven't seen for 22 years and they walk into the room and it's like there's this temptation of what are we going to do? When people walk back into our lives, when we have these experiences of people of like, oh, I thought you were gone and there's hurt there and there's pain there and there's wounds there. What are we going to do with that? And I think the temptation for us is in that moment to get into battle mode. Or maybe for you, you don't have a natural fight response. Maybe it's flight. Maybe it's freeze. But there's this moment of like, what are we going to do? And I think the temptation is to sit in a state of unforgiveness, bitterness, or resentment. Of like, they've done something, and I'm going to hold on to that. I haven't seen justice yet for that thing. It may have happened last week, may have happened last year, may have happened two decades ago but I haven't seen justice, so I am holding on to that. And I wonder this morning if, for us, God is wanting us to examine our lives, our relationships, present and past. Are there any relationships where there is unforgiveness, bitterness, and resentment that God might want to do a work within you? that it might be painful to go to those places, but God is wanting to bring healing to those relationships. And I think this morning as we track through how Joseph dealt with the situation, we see something of a model of how we might deal with these situations. So this morning I want to start with Genesis 42 and read from the passage. Now Joseph was governor of the land, the person who sold grain to all its people, So when Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. As soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them, but he pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. Where do you come from, he asked. From the land of Canaan, they replied, to buy food. Although Joseph recognized his brothers, they did not recognize him. Then he remembered his dreams about them and said to them, you are spies, you have come to see where our land is unprotected. 
this moment where the brothers enter back into the picture and Joseph's like, oh yeah, this was about a, my life's about this dream and I haven't seen it yet. And I think if we imagine, if our arch nemesis, our enemy, the person who's hurt us, walks into the room right now, what is our ideal situation of how that is to happen? And I think it wouldn't be too far from Joseph's situation. That his brothers walk into the room, they are hungry, they just come in representing their family, they're in need. They walk in, they're on Joseph's turf, Joseph's got all the power, he can do whatever he wants. He represents nations and these guys just represent a family. And best of all, if he wants it, he's got total anonymity. He can do what he wants with his brothers. And if he wants, they don't even need to know it's him. He can just step away. If we can imagine, if our enemy was wanting to walk in the, walked in the room, what is the perfect situation? I think Joseph's situation captures something of like, this is the essence. If everything was on your side for revenge, if you had it set up perfectly, what would you do? How would you respond? Who would you be in that moment? And we see, first off, Joseph's response. There's emotion, there's anger, there's frustration, but he doesn't choose the route of vengeance. His brothers were going to kill him and then decided killing's not really that great for us. We can get money if we sell him. That's how they've treated him and there's a sense with the justice that his response back is, can be the same. Maybe it should have been the same, of you have treated me like this, so I will treat you like this too. And Joseph chooses not to go that route of justice, not to kill his brothers, not to kill his family, not to enslave them. That's the route he takes. And in the midst of this, it's not just like this, I think it's important as we read through the story, as I been grappling with it, if, you, if you've been reading along in the text over the past few weeks, he doesn't just kind of naively invite his brothers back into his life. It's not this like, oh, don't worry about it, that was 20 years ago, like, we're good now. There's this like, he actually processes and works through the pain and the grief and the wounds. Like, he's willing to go to those places in these relationships. We see emotion coming out every step but I think it's ultimately a journey of forgiveness and reconciliation. And Joseph first asks, his brothers walk in and there's one brother missing. And the one brother missing happens to be his full brother, Benjamin. And he asks, where's Benjamin? And the brothers say, he's back home, it's just us. And so Joseph kind of to test, see if his brothers have changed, have they grown in this 20 years, what's the journey they've been going on, says, actually, will you guys go back and bring Benjamin to me? Will one of you go back, the rest of you will stay in prison, prison, and they kind of negotiate, and one of them stays in prison, and the rest go. But there's this kind of process of Joseph's like, hey, these guys, last time I saw them, they were pretty immature. They weren't safe people to be a brothers with. I've got to like check, have they grown, have they matured, what's changed? And we get this glimpse of kind of some transformation happening in their lives. 
In Genesis 42, it continues, they said to one another, the brothers, surely we are being punished because of our brother. We saw how distressed he was when he pleaded with us for his life, but we would not listen. That's why this distress has come on us. Reuben replied, didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy, but you wouldn't listen. Now you must give an accounting for his blood. They did not realize that Joseph could understand them since he was using an interpreter. He turned away from them and began to weep. And then came back and spoke to them again. He had Simeon taken from them and bound before their eyes. There's this encounter where Jesus realize, uh, Joseph realizes, ah, oh, these guys are aware of what they've done for me, how much they've hurt me. There's a sense of they acknowledge their own guilt in the midst of this. And this triggers within Joseph, just this grief to well up of like, again, it's tapping into this wound of like, oh, there's pain there. I'm coming in cold, but man, there's pain there. And it comes up and he runs away and he weeps. And I wonder for some of us this morning, if there are people in our lives, again, who it's like we've got this kind of relationship with. These sensitivities, these pains, these wounds. Maybe it's actually even just little ones that through the last couple of years when all of us have felt like there's been a lot of unexpected, there's been relationships that have broken down, maybe through active hurt or maybe just through neglect. Maybe there's people in your family, in your friends group, in your workplace, maybe even in this room who just kind of don't talk to as much anymore. We just like sit a few extra seats away from them and don't engage, just people where there's this little breakdown, maybe there's a little comment or a little moment you didn't feel noticed, but there's this, beneath it, there's this little wound that God is wanting to, I think, bring to the surface and say, hey, let's bring healing, let's bring wholeness, let's bring reconciliation. And the story continues, the brothers go back and they bring back their brother, Benjamin, And as Joseph looked and saw his brother Benjamin, his own mother's son, he asked, is this your youngest brother, the one you told me about? And he said, God be gracious to you, my son. Deeply moved at the sight of his brother, Joseph hurried out and looked for a place to weep again. He went into his private room and wept there. That again, as he encounters this other brother, this emotion comes up, bubbles up within him that he has to run out and weep. And the story goes that Joseph sends his brothers away again and he gives Benjamin this little cup. And the consequence of that is Benjamin is going to have to be killed. But one of the other brothers, Judah, puts his hand up and says, hey, don't kill Benjamin. He's dad's favorite son. I'll take his place. Joseph says the brothers have matured, have grown, they've done some work. When Joseph was a boy, the brothers were willing to kill to sell the favorite brother. Now they're saying, hey, I'll put my hand up. I'll take his place. Dad obviously hasn't done a whole lot of work because he's still willing to pick favorite sons and that doesn't really go, <laughs> go down too well in this family. But the sons have done some growth. And Joseph sees this. And we get this, final, we get this moment where the, family, the brothers come back and we get this. In Genesis 45, then Joseph could no longer control himself before his attendants, and he cried out, have everyone leave my presence. So there 
was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers, and he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him, and Pharaoh's household heard about it. That there's this moment where Jesus, when Joseph could choose bitterness, resentment, could choose to be hard, and instead he chooses vulnerability and wanting to enter back into this relationship. And I wonder for us if there's any relationships where we're holding on to unforgiveness, bitterness, and resentment. And in doing so, we're missing the ways that God might want to meet us, might want to shape us. Joseph's story is one of going through hardship, going through struggle, but God using it to form and shape him. And I think God does the same with our relationships. That where there is brokenness, where there is conflict, where there is hurt, God's saying, will you let me use that for healing and hope and restoration? I want to do a work in those places. I want to form you in that place. I know for many of us, like, Joseph had this dream of what God had for his future. And many of us have dreams of what our future should look like. The problem is it's often the people who muck it up. Like, oh, I got this great job, but man, this workmate just kind of ruins it for me. Oh, my family's great, but man, this one, like, sibling or cousin, like, if it wasn't for them, oh, man, like, I had this dreams of my marriage, but my spouse didn't end up being the person that I thought they might be. And God says, no, like, where there is hurt, where there is pain, where there is struggle in those situations, those are places to be used for formation that you would become more and more in the image of Christ, find healing and hope. And we see for Joseph's story, it's not just for Joseph, but it goes wider. So, how and why do we forgive as followers of Christ? And as we look to the Gospels, we see Jesus again and again says, we forgive because God forgives us. Paul says the same thing, that our forgiving of others is always linked to the forgiveness that we have received. One passage of the many is in Ephesians 4, talking about how we're to live as followers of Christ. It says this, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate with one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. These first, bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander. When someone's wronged us, those are like probably some easy ways to go to get angry, to get bitter, to talk badly about the person. But Paul reminds us, no, we're supposed to be kind and compassionate and forgiving because we remember, we know the power, the significance of what Christ has done for us. When we have failed, when we have fallen short, when we've done things wrong, Christ has consistently said to each one of us, I forgive you. And because of that and through that, we can forgive others. And I think one powerful story in Scripture that we see this happen, see this expressed, is a story that we founded on here at the well. The story where Jesus encounters the Samaritan woman. That Jesus has this encounter with this woman at the well. <clears throat> if you know the story, it's in the middle of the day, in the heat of the day. Normally you collected water in the cool parts of the day, morning and evening. And normally you'd do it as a community. So all the women of the town would go together, collect water, and form relationships, talk. 
be a tight-knit community. So this woman in this story, woman at the well, has clearly fallen out of relationship with the woman in her village. There are broken relationships here. I imagine there's unforgiveness, there's bitterness. I imagine there's a lot of complex things. And then as the story kind of goes on, Jesus confirms with her that she's had multiple husbands in the past, and the man she's currently with is in her husband. Again, stories of broken relationships, stories of unforgiveness, of bitterness, of resentment. Yet she has this moment where Jesus encounters her. She experiences the depth of God's love for her. And do you know what her response is? To run back to those people, run to the people who she's got this like, probably on both sides, there's unforgiveness, there's bitterness, resentment. But she experiences God's love for herself and forgiveness over her. And she's like, I've got to go tell those people about Jesus. And in doing so, kind of it restoring those relationships, that the good news is good enough that she is able to forgive, I think, those in her community. Do we know Christ's forgiveness of us in that same way? And as we think about forgiveness in our lives, I think it's actually woven into a lot of our spiritual practices like here we talk about these rhythms of we want to be people who pray, bless, notice, rest. So we want to be people who pray every day. And prayer should be, is often framed around how Jesus teaches us to pray. That in the Gospels, the disciples ask, Jesus, tell us how to pray. And one of the phrases that Jesus uses is, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. That as people of prayer who pray daily... Part of our prayer is, I receive your forgiveness and I forgive those who have hurt me. This should be part of our regular rhythm, is forgiveness. Here at one of our new practices at church is that we've introduced this practice of passing the peace. It used to be a time where it was like, talk to your neighbour, ask them how the weather's been, ask them how the sport's been, or the lack of sport or how life's been with COVID. But instead, we've actually owned and claimed this ancient Christian practice that when Christians gather together, they pass the peace. That we speak Christ's peace over each other. That we are actively working to be peacemakers with each other. That where there may be broken relationship, we say, peace. Traditionally, it's actually a practice that comes intentionally before you receive Holy Communion. You practice the peace, you make right, you restore relationships with each other before you come to the communion table. And I've been reading this book the last couple of weeks on spiritual practices by Tish Harrison Warren. She's an Anglican priest, Liturgy of the Ordinary. And th- she talks about this practice of the passing of the peace. And as an Anglican... She comes to it knowing like, oh, this is the place where I have to restore my relationships and speak peace. So it talks about quite regularly, turn, gets to the moment of the service, passing of the peace. Oh man, me and my husband fought all the way to church this morning. We've actually got to resolve this. And stepping out of the sanctuary, out of the church building, talking through their conflict, and then coming back in. 
that this is a practice that weekly we come to. If there's broken relationships, if there's hurt, if there's pain, if we've just done something accidentally, each week we come and say, peace, can we restore this? Can we make this right? I don't know about you, but like, if we're people who pray and then each week pass the peace, that's keeping some pretty short records of wrongs. Bitterness, unforgiveness is not going to take root very easily if we're engaging in these practices each day, each week. Has anyone done anything that may have hurt me, that there may be a wound? I need to forgive them. I need to make this right. That we would become peacemakers as we enter into this practice. And we see this modelled in Joseph's story. And one of the things I love in Joseph's story has how he owns the emotions, owns the complexity of it. I've been reading this theologian, Miroslav Volf, who's this Yugoslavian theologian. So growing up in East, like Eastern Europe knows the complexities of broken relationships, hurt, like not just at an individual level, but as a like communities clashing with communities, societies clashing with societies and says there's two elements that are necessary forgiveness. The first is that we name the wrongdoing and we condemn it. That actually a process of forgiveness isn't like what Joseph said of like, oh, I've just forgotten. It's actually being able to name the hurt and condemn it as that was wrong. And we see that in Joseph's story. Like, the story names what his brothers have done. And secondly that we give the gift of not counting that same wrongdoing against them. And this, not just in small conflicts, but actually in big ones, has been the process by which people groups have figured out how to make peace, reconcile. Whether it's in South, Af- in South Africa and in Canada, South Africa with the apartheid, Canada with the First Nations people. They've named their process of truth and reconciliation We actually need to name the pain and the hurt, and then we reconcile. And so that's who we are to be as a people. For me, as I reflect on my story, I didn't have 20 years, 22 years of sitting with this like Joseph did, but I did have years. For me, probably similar age to Joseph when he got the dream, I, as a teenager, had a dream. I was very passionate about the sport of swimming. I've shared this before. Like, that was, it's my passion, it's what I loved, it was my dream. It wasn't necessarily my gifting, I wasn't the best at it, but I loved it. Um, But through years, just me noticing, like, oh, I don't think my parents care about me doing this as much as I would like them to. And years built up this resentment, this unforgiveness of, like, why aren't you watching me swim in my competitions? And this hurt came. And eventually I was like, oh, stuff it, you guys don't back it and quit. And it took years of just like, before God brought it to the surface one day. This moment, this unexpected moment where all the emotion just bubbled up and was like, oh, that's there. And I wonder for some of us, there's those relationship hurts from our past that Actually, this is God saying, I want to bubble that up and come up so you can process and deal and heal that. For me, it was an opportunity to heal relationship with my parents. 
And actually, in the midst of that, I think it opened me up to God in new ways. And I realized that in holding on to that bitterness, that resentment, that unforgiveness, I had restricted my emotions to a very slim sliver. And as soon as I said, oh, I'm willing to feel that pain, that hurt, those sad things, all the positive ones opened up too. It was like, ah, healing, hope, goodness that I couldn't have even imagined. And I wonder for some of us if God's saying, hey, I think it's time. I think it's time to start forgiving that person. Because we see in Joseph's story, as a closing passage for this morning, then Joseph said to his brothers, come to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now there has been famine in the land, and for the next five years there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. This acknowledgement that Joseph is willing to name, like, this is what you did, but God has used it for something better. And it's not just something better for Joseph, and it's not just something better for his brothers, but I think there's something of God's kingdom that comes through the work that is done in this. And I think that's said explicitly, but implicitly I think there's acknowledgement of Joseph's growth too. That Joseph, like, ah, when I shared that dream with you as a 17-year-old, I shared it about me. You probably thought about it about me, but actually this this was bigger than all of us. And I think for us, as we enter into these practices of forgiveness, we'll find forgiveness really isn't just about us, and it's really not just also about the two of us, but it's about ushering in this kingdom of peacemaking. And this morning, we're going to practice, we're going to receive this practice of communion, this place where we receive God's grace, where we remember God's forgiveness over us. And as we receive this morning, I'll invite us, as you hold it, to think, is there any, God, is there anyone in my life that I need to forgive? And invite you to forgive that person. This may just be first step, but take that step. This may be second or third step, but in that moment, with, as you hold the symbol of what Christ has done for you, how he has forgiven you, I invite you to, to also forgive. If this morning you feel like there's a relationship that it's like, oh, this is, pretty, this is a pretty bad one, David. Like, it's pretty similar to Joseph having 20 years broken relationship being sold into slavery. Like, there's some big, deep wounds here. Maybe you're feeling like, Maybe 1% of me wants to forgive. The other 99 is pretty happy with the bitterness, unforgiveness, resentment. Maybe I'm pretty, ha- I'm pretty happy in that space, but a l- tiny, just a little glimpse of you is saying, oh, I might be willing to go there. I want to invite you this morning, once you receive your communion, to come into the middle at the front here. And we would love to pray with you on that journey, that you would receive this peace of Christ this power of the Holy Spirit to enable you to start to forgive. So I invite the band to come.
And I want to invite us lastly, actually, Clint has encouraged us each sermon to spend moments in prayer each day. And this week, when you add an element of that, simply from the Lord's Prayer, forgive me as I forgive, and name who you need to forgive that day. Incorporate this forgiveness into your daily practice. But as we come to the communion table this morning, remember that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he gathered his friends around him and he broke bread, including with the one disciple who would betray him. He broke bread and said, this is my body which is broken for you for the forgiveness of your sins. Do this in remembrance of me. And later in the meal, he took a cup and said, This cup is my blood which is shed for you. This is a sign of the new covenant, of the new relationship, of the restored, healed, reconciled relationship you get to enter into. Each time that you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you remember the Lord's death. You remember that act of forgiveness until Christ comes again. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this beautiful gift that you have given, the gift of yourself. That, Lord, in all the ways that we muck up, we fall short. All the ways that we struggle to to forgive, to let go of bitterness and resentment, to hold on to wounds, to seek justice ourselves. Lord, we come to you needing you and your spirit and your, your help in this, Lord Jesus. As we receive this morning, may we encounter a fresh and new something of your grace. May you be healing relationships with our spouses, with our friends, with our neighbors, with our workmates, with old friends. May you be doing a work of healing as we receive this morning.